Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, this week, uh, the gang is talking about Joker. Um, uh, technically, it's supposed to be a comic book film, I suppose, but it's out in cinemas now. It's quite a controversial film. I'm joined tonight by Maggie, Anna, ja- Gerald, and Darren, myself. So say hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Salute. And, uh, yeah, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast, so you've been warned. Um, yeah, we're just going to discuss Joker in all its glory or infamy or, yeah. Um, so, look, why don't we start? I, I think we'll start, as usual, by going around the table and getting our quick impressions of the Joker and whether we kind of recommend it or not. But why don't I start by just giving a quick synopsis of what the film actually was. (laughs) Um, The film is about a guy called Arthur Fleck, who is played by Joaquin Phoenix. He eventually kind of becomes a Joker, and the film basically is about his journey to become this character known as the Joker. Now, um, Arthur Fleck is um, his... Uh, he's kind of like it, the film starts and he's kind of the, the, this down and like down on his luck sort of guy right and there's all these sort of check boxes for a guy who is down on his luck right he gets beaten up on the street he gets money taken he loses his job all this type of stuff right um, he's also seen to have some sort of mental illness I guess so um, and you can see that he's not sort of fully adjusted with um the wider society, I guess, right? There are a few scenes where he acts in a certain way that is sort of so contrary to how everybody else is behaving in that particular situation. Anyway, there's various subplots that run throughout this film where, you know, um, the main subplot is basically Arthur one day is assaulted on the subway by some uh, bankers, I want to say, or like the corporate-looking guys, um, gets beaten up and then he manages, he's, someone has given him a gun and he shoots these three guys and kills them, right? And that kind of starts him on his path and there's this whole thing about the police trying to question him and um, in doing so, he kind of starts this movement in Gotham City um, because Gotham City is seen to be uh, under significant political unrest, there's significant political unrest in Gotham City, and, you know, the poor are kind of protesting against the rich, essentially, right? So he sparks this, so there's that subplot. There's another subplot, which is that Arthur's mother, who is terminally ill, um, claims that Arthur is the son of Thomas Wayne, who is, like, Bruce Wayne's dad, you know, Bruce Wayne being Batman, eventually, I guess. Um, And... So there's a whole subplot about Arthur investigating that. Um, oh, and just as a, a bit of info to listeners, this is set in like the 80s, I want to say. So this is kind of like set in sort of grimy 80s pre-Batman. Like in this universe, this is pre-Batman, right? Batman is... Bruce Wayne is still a little kid. Um, and then I think the final subplot that we kind of have is this uh, subplot with Robert De Niro, who plays a comedian who Arthur idolizes. Um, but basically, he gets made fun of by this comedian. And, um, you know, the the culmination of this film is through all of these different subplots, through the world kind of constantly sort of beating him down, Arthur sort of self-actualizes and becomes a horrible criminal he becomes the joker basically and that's kind of the story right it's like a sort of character story around the joker i know i I probably haven't really described it in the best sort of way but you know there's those those three major sort of plot lines that go through and this is a character story about the joker so why don't we throw it open to the floor um uh what did we think of joker who wants to shoot first jerry do you want to go first Sure. Um, I quite enjoyed this film. I'm aware of the backlash to it, and I'm aware of the backlash to the backlash, and no doubt we can deal with this in due course. But a lot of this film was basically catnip to me. I'm a big fan of 
movies depicting grimy late 70s, early 80s New York. So we're talking films like Taxi Driver, Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon and the like. And this film very much strives to be in that wheelhouse and to uh, evoke visually and in terms of the isolation of its main character, um, the mood and the uh, character beats of a film like Taxi Driver. Uh, so I, I, on the whole, quite enjoyed the film, despite the fact that, yes, it is this quite disturbing portrait of an individual whom one could see um, partaking in all manner of um, dark latter-day developments, such as um, the intel movement or online trolling or um, being being a mass shooter. So even though there is a curious, curiously detached and perhaps even a moral worldview uh, in the film, I thought nonetheless that the as a character study, it was quite compelling. Joaquin Phoenix is amazing in this movie. He undergoes um, something of a physical transformation. He lost a shit ton of weight and when when he's required to take his shirt off, he does something with his posture that makes him look even more deformed than he really is. And no doubt at some point we're going to debate the respective merits of all the various actors who've played um, the Joker. And, um, you know, he's got big shoes to fill, uh, not least because, you know, um, he's coming off an absolutely iconic performance in the form of... Jared Leto's depiction of the Joker <laughs> in Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah. Good one, good one. <laughs> A truly iconic performance for the ages. Um, and, and and so there is, there is a great deal, I think, to admire in the movie, in the craft of the movie, in its central performance, and in its ever of a particular time and place and mood. Um, a lot has been said about how this movie doesn't say anything about all the issues it touches on. It touches on qu- questions of mental illness, of class, of um, even mass media entertainment. Um, and yes, I agree. It ha- doesn't have anything particularly interesting to say about any of those issues. The, the idea that some guy in a clown mask shoots three Wall Street bankers or investment um, investment advisors or private equity types and triggers a movement uh, which then goes completely batshit crazy and raises the city to the ground in a fit of rage um, is, is stupid because it makes half of Gotham City look very, very dark. Um, but having said that, I think the same criticisms could have been levied of a film like like Taxi Driver. I think Taxi Driver is every bit as unrealistic as this movie. You know, Travis Bickle is racist. Travis Bickle uh, suffers from um, a Madonna whore complex in his relations with women. Um, Travis Bickle eventually uh, thinks of himself as as an avenging hero and in so doing commits a mass shooting. Uh, And in his own mind remains a hero to the end of this film. Taxi Driver didn't have anything particularly interesting to say about race or um, the place of women in society, or even gun violence in the United States. It is lauded, rightly, as a classic piece of American filmmaking. But let's not kid ourselves into thinking that it says anything particularly deep about the issues on which it touches. And so I think part of the backlash is understandable, given just how chilling this character is and how how at this particular moment he seems like everything that we should be reacting against but let's not lose sight of the fact that many many films have said nothing interesting about the issues on which they touch and yet been lauded as classics quite rightly so on the whole despite the fact that it is by no means perfect um i think it's well worth um sitting through Mm, okay cool uh mags do you want to shoot next sure um so I think I surprised myself in that I actually didn't mind the movie and I found it quite entertaining. 
Um, having said that, I found it also deeply disturbing um, and at times felt that I was being emotionally and psychologically manipulated, um, which I, I guess is perhaps an indication of the Joker as a character. Um, there were several points in the movie where I was squirming because it was so intense and I wasn't quite sure whether I would make it through. And I think there were some points where Darren and I looked over to one another and we both had this expression on our face like, oh, God, I can't believe that that just happened. I think there's one particular something. scene. There's there's one particular scene, and we'll talk about it later, which, yeah. which is, yeah, the scene where it's just so... Anyway, keep going. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I completely agree with Gerald. I think Joaquin Phoenix did an amazing job bringing the Joker to life in all his creepiness and remorselessness as a, as a killer that enjoys killing. Um, I thought it um, did a good job at touching on some of those issues um, and that Gerald mentioned that weren't explored further. And I thought it was okay as well that they didn't explore it further. If you take it as a movie that's about, you know, a comic book character, the Joker... Um, I was quite intrigued by the narrative around, you know, if you, if you think about the story itself, um, uh, turning Arthur Fleck into the Joker um, and this portrait of him as a victim, the underdog, someone who is always beaten down, particularly by quite um, seminal people within his, um, within his social sphere. And this idea that um, he becomes the Joker when he finally accepts who he is and and that kind of liberates him from his craziness. I think there's a point in time in the movie where he seems like he's in complete control, and that's the point where he's actually fully accepted, um, you know, his his mental illness, I suppose. Um, did I find it believable or realistic? Um, I'm not quite sure that I did, but if you think about it more as a superhero movie with, uh, about a character in the DC comic universe then maybe it is um, a believable backstory for the Joker um, and we'll touch on this as well um, I know Darren has some views about it but um, I guess looking at it from the perspective of it being a comic book story um, there were definitely points in the movie where it felt like it made me question whether or not what we were looking at as the narrative was, um, you know, a retelling of Joker's history or whether it was actually a, a manipulation and there were parts of it that were really a figment of the Joker's imagination. Um, so there are parts in the movie that kind of hint towards that. So I won't go into um, that much detail now, but it's something we can talk about later. Yeah. So you would recommend it or, or not, Mags? Um, I would I would actually recommend watching it, but having said that, I wouldn't watch it again myself because I did find it so intense and disturbing. Mm, mm, mm. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, Andrew, do you want to go next? Yeah, I would probably give it three and a half uh, stars out of five. Um, I would recommend it to certain people, uh, not to everybody. I thought it was really dark. I thought it had a lot of artistic merit. Um, but I think that, look, I, I also, I think I heard that some people have found it boring and I don't understand how you can, given that the whole movie is the basically the performance of Joaquin Phoenix and that performance is spellbinding. I don't know how how you can have any other view other than that it is spellbinding. Um, I really, there's really just two things about the movie that I didn't, uh, that kind of brought it down for me. Um, the much smaller point is that as engaged as I was in him and the performance and what was going on on the screen, whenever he had an interaction with his neighbour, Sophie, it just completely took me out of the movie because all I could think was, no, this attractive, intelligent, well-put-together woman with a child is not just carrying on this relationship with someone in um, Arthur's position. Now, I'm sorry if that's really judgmental and a massive assumption, but that's it was really hard for me to buy into that. And so every time I saw them together, it just completely took me out of the movie while I'm thinking what's going on. And I'm glad that, you know, they 
they explain it at the end in that it is she is just a delusion of his. But because I didn't see that coming, and it just took me out of a lot of the movie. The, that's the smaller point. The much bigger point is that I just couldn't buy into the, the transformation that he makes. Um, you know, so it starts off as he's got a he's got a mental illness or more than one. What is that mental illness? Well, he, he has delusions. He has great memory impairments, so he doesn't remember most of his childhood with his mother. And we are told that he's had some kind of traumatic brain injury, which has led to the laughing condition that he's got. So, you know, so that's, that's probably also affected his memory, and that probably comes from the abuse that he suffered. There's clearly some deficit in his cognitive functioning, especially in his social ability, because he really doesn't understand jokes. He has to kind of try to learn what humor is. So he's got all of that, but he always has a great deal of empathy and compassion and he is um, a good-natured person you know because of that empathy and compassion and for him to just suddenly turn into you know to develop these other mental conditions such as narcissism and psychopathy uh, I didn't find it plausible even even with the abuse he suffered um, by people in that later stage of his life, even finding out that his mum had been his adoptive, his mum first a, a that he was adopted and that he didn't know this, and that b she had neglected him and stood by while he was abused. All even with all of that, I just didn't buy that this. He just lost. He just became a, 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 a narcissistic sociopath. I just didn't buy it. And also, he gives this speech towards the end, which is. Um, kind of indicates a higher level of cognitive ability than I would have attributed to him um, beforehand. So this, the transformation was really weird to me. It's almost like he had to rise and we were all waiting for it and there it was and it just didn't make sense to me. So that's a shame. In terms of what it says about you know the bigger issues, I was fine with it just addressing the fact that we do not treat people with serious mental illnesses with very much compassion and we probably, you know, should be devoting many more resources to to them. Um, it's fine that that's all I had to say about it for me, but it was more these other two issues, especially that second one, that I think was like a weakness. Mm. Interesting. Darren. Yeah. So, okay. Look, why don't I start by like I, I think that second that second point you brought up is a really interesting one, right? Whether the transformation into the Joker is believable or not, and um, there's a part of me that agrees with you to a certain extent. Although I don't necessarily feel like his initial character was um, particularly sympathetic either. He definitely was like a pretty like I. I sense the narcissism kind of quite early in in the piece like he has a healthy um i mean he hates himself but at the same time he like you know has sort of grand visions of himself right and it's kind of seen in the scene when he has the delusion of um the uh the talk show host robert de niro's character kind of embracing him as a son very early on he watches tv mm -hmm. and he has this delusion that if he just goes up and talks about himself that all of a sudden this guy that he, <laughs> he like lords on tv will embrace him, him as a son but having said that it is very extreme right to go from a guy who is kind of down on his luck right to the clown prince of crime right that's a huge mm. valley that needs to be bridged so i get that and this is why, in my mind, this is still, like, a lot of people still that it's, say that it's not really a comic book film. I still genuinely believe that this is a comic book film in some ways, right? Like, I feel like this film plays better if you know the character of the Joker and you're, you kind of understand the history of the character of the Joker. And, like, to Mags's point of manipulation, like, this, I mean... The unreliable narrator is such a core part of this film, right? Like, you don't really know whether everything that is going on is delusion or truth or manipulation. And th the way the film ends kind of reinforces this, because it goes to this padded cell, and he's kind of got this... And someone's interviewing him, and it's almost like, oh, this whole movie was a recollection or, like, a fancy in this guy's mind. So you don't really know what 
is actually the truth here. And if it's kind of viewed through the lens of the character of the Joker, it becomes more interesting because it's like, oh, maybe this entire film is the character of the Joker trying to manipulate you into like finding some sort of sympathy with him, right? Like it's it, so like that sort of unreliable narrative thing. I think, I mean, it's a bit of a dirty trick to play on the audience, but I think viewed through the lens of the Joker character and viewed through um, uh, that sort of the whole idea of the unreliable narrator, like I, I think that creates a layer of interest um, that kind of, well, I mean, I, I, I think that the film plays better through that lens, right? Um, having said that, like, I look, overall, I this was not a particularly pleasant film to sit through. It was, I mean, everybody said that it was really disturbing, and I definitely found that as well. I, I kind of echo Mags's view that, like, I think I've watched the Nolan Batman films heaps and heaps of times, right? Like, Every time they're on TV, I'll watch them. I've got the DVDs of them. I'll put them on from time to time to watch them, right? Like, I think they're great films. Well, as in, they're great films. We, I mean, we do the same. We yeah. do the same. <laughs> but this is not a film. The Joker film is not a film that I would want to put on because I wanted to have a nice afternoon <laughs> watching a film. Right? Like, this is a film that, like, this is like, you have to be in a really particular state of mind to want to actively watch this film. So, Can I just say, <laughs> anyone who would want to watch this movie over and over and over again should be the last people to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's... And I think what makes this film so troubling for me is that in some ways, I was reflecting on it, and this film is like a hero's journey. It, like, you think about the classic hero's journey, the sort of Luke Skywalker sort of hero's journey, like, sort of, um, you know, leaving the house, leaving the home, self-actualizing, becoming the person you're meant to be. In some sort of twisted way, this film is about the self-actualization of the Joker. It's about this guy who starts off and, you know, he's, he lives at home and, you know, he's down on his luck. And through what, the, basically, the vicissitudes of life, in his mind, he is able to rise above it and become this like hero character in his mind it's like this the the villain's journey i guess right like it's it's like it's this sort of really yeah it's this twisted hero's journey and for me it was that was that self-actualization was yeah it was it was kind of troubling it wasn't i, I agree that it wasn't 100 percent realistic but it was yeah it was it was an interesting f film for me because it was that sort of that sort of other side of the coin self-actualization journey right um i think um yeah i, I think joaquin's phoenix's performance in that is crucial like i think so much of this film is unspoken there's so much body language in this film as well which kind of adds to the level of creepiness about about the character um i liked the idea that um look one of the things that i did like actually was that even though you're meant to empathize with Arthur Fleck's character because he's so down on his luck, there are so many sort of odd things about him that you can't, like, that, you know, if you were to see this guy kind of just on the street, like, and you didn't know anything else about him and the way he carried himself, right? Like, you know, in the comedy club, there's this really great scene where Arthur Fleck is sitting in the comedy club and someone is telling jokes and everybody is laughing, and he laughs out of sync, right, with everyone else. And the way he laughs is just something that, if you didn't know anything about him, you'd probably want to kind of keep your distance, because you don't really know what's kind of going on there, right? So I thought. Well, was... he's faking it, right? Is it... He's not. He doesn't. He doesn't actually think it's funny. That's why when he walks, there's another scene where um, you know he's with his colleagues. And one of them cracks a nasty joke, and he laughs, and he leaves the room. And, and as soon stops. as he's out of hearing distance, he starts. Yeah, and he's taking notes about what is funny. Like, and yeah. the reason he's off is he starts laughing when he realizes other people are laughing. Yeah. And then he stops too late because he he doesn't actually know what's funny. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that was like a really interesting character tra trait that they gave to him, right? Because it yeah. makes him really off kilter. So even though you. 
people treat him really like there are some people who treat him so cruelly right but at the same time you can understand why he's kind of out of kilter with the rest of society because there is just something kind of off about him right i thought that was that was a really interesting starting point for that for that character um yeah look over overall um yeah i probably veer on the side of recommending this film like, I mean, if you've never seen it, but this is definitely not a multiple watch film. This is a film that you watch kind of out of interest, out of cultural interest, I guess. And if you're like a big Batman fan, I think it's it's not a bad Joker origin story. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, if you're a big Batman fan, I think there are things in this movie that are calculated to infuriate you. Um, because it does it does mess around with the mythology to no small extent um first of all thomas k uh, thomas wayne is a complete bastard in this movie i mean setting aside the question of whether or not he was in fact um arthur fleck's father and in his and i'm kind of hoping that he wasn't because if he was then this movie is kind of like the most recent james bond film spectre in which blofeld we are told, is James Bond's adopted brother. And I, I don't want that sort of history or connection between Bruce Wayne and Arthur Fleck. But the Thomas Wayne of this movie is a complete arsehole. And he's uncaring, he's a complete snob, and he's this, is this, he, he's this billionaire turned politician. Now, in the era of Trump, this is not a character who, who's, who's capable of engendering any sympathy from the audience. Whereas in the comic books, Thomas Wayne, if there's one thing we know about Thomas Wayne, or at least we think we know about Thomas Wayne, it's that he was a very good man. He's this, he comes from this extremely wealthy family, but he's a doctor and um, he's not much concerned with the, with the running of the, of the Wayne empire. Um, and he's a very good father. Whereas this movie presents us presents us with a Thomas Kane who a Thomas Wayne who is none of those things and might also be a really bad father to boot a man who might have abandoned um, an illegitimate child so there's that there's also the fact that um, one of the most interesting things about the Joker as presented in the source material is that he's kind of a reaction to the rise and appearance of the Batman yes. like and it's a and it's a theme that's picked up particularly in the Dark Knight when um, the Joker, as played by Heath Ledger, we are told, is is Gotham's dark counter-reaction to Batman's appearance. If good is going to go freaky to in order to triumph over evil, then evil's going to hit back by going even more freaky. And the mo- this movie junks that notion entirely by having the Joker emerge first um, before uh, before Batman um, emerges from out of the shadows and I think I think it's actually quite important that the Joker is Gotham's sick reaction to Batman because then it makes Batman's it, it makes Batman's mission um, problematic because he's no, he might be he, he might be approaching his task with all the best intentions in the world but there are these unintended consequences like um, you know a brand new breed of supervillain appearing on the scene and finally i think they kind of get the character of the joker himself wrong the joker particularly is played by heath ledger is creepy and frightening but he's also really really funny i mean say what you will about the making the pencil disappear trick but amongst other things it was quite funny when he said was it the pencil's gone <laughs> was it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. It's just so unexpected. And the thing I'm is, getting scared. Very, the Joker is really, you know, he's quippy, he's very clever, and again, as played by Heath Ledger, he's sort of, he's not driven by rage at, at society. Whereas Arthur Fleck, particularly in the final mon- monologue, just before he kills Robert De Niro's character, is just eaten up by rage. This is, he's, he's playing out almost a grand revenge fantasy on everyone who's ever done him wrong that's not as i understand it the joker's motivation in the sort of material at all he's not driven by rage yes there are characters 
in real life and in fiction of whom we can say their 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 sense of humor is rage directed sideways but that i don't think that's something that could ever be said of the joker he's more he's more sort of curious in the sense that he's if i do this and set and train these chaotic um steps what's going to happen let's just you know let's just let's just burn burn the city down just to see what's going to happen so he's more playful than he is rageful and angry um and that too i think is a departure from the source material and it felt it felt slightly odd he's 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 a murderous clown in this movie but he's not the joker in fact he tells no jokes and what he tells very few jokes and the jokes that he does tell they're all really bad i mean the whole point of the arthur fleck character is the man's got an appalling sense of humor if he has a sense of humor at all he can't tell a joke to save his life uh, and he's not very funny so um so the character who emerges at the end of this film is he looks like the joker he might even sound like the joker but he doesn't joke like the joker he's not a joker let alone the joker yeah look, so I, I i would agree with a lot of those points gerald i i do feel like the nuances of the comic book character, maybe even the Heath Ledger character, are not really picked up in um, this version of the Joker. So I, I get your point about the playfulness of it. He he doesn't feel as playful. Um, he doesn't... And, like, you know, what you were saying there, it made me think about... This was probably one of the issues that I did have with the Joker character, which was... Um, like, the Joker always, in other material, has always been largely inscrutable, right? As in, this idea of being an agent of chaos and kind of just doing stuff for the sake of it, with, without having, like, a real defined reason for it. Um, and I feel, if anything, like, in telling a character-driven story, you and in telling an origin story, you have to have a reason for it, right? And the very nature of having that character progression kind of breaks down the character of the Joker a little bit, right? It demystifies him a little bit, gives him reason, which is fundamentally against the point of that character. So, I get that. I guess my, my point around the Joker, like why, in some ways, this film is more enjoyable if you do have a comic book basis, well, not necessarily even a comic book basis, but an understanding of the Joker in other, in other media is that it makes look, I think there are various scenes in this film that kind of refer to other Jokers, right? Like, there there are other scenes, there are various scenes in the films where, like, the scene itself, it, like, sparks its memory of another Joker in, in your mind, right? I, I think there's a scene when he's riding in the cop car towards the end, yeah, sure. which really reminded yeah. me of Heath Ledger. <laughs> the way he dresses is very much like um, Cesar Romero. There's the scene when he's in the in the, like, the... in uh, Robert De Niro's studio, right? Like, I don't know if you remember The Dark Knight Returns, the comic book, right? The Frank Miller comic book, which is seen as, like, quite a seminal piece of Batman um, comic lore. Um, like, uh, I mean, the big set-piece crime for the Joker in that comic book is set in that sort of talk show studio where he murders the talk show host. Like, in The Dark Knight Returns, he murders everyone else as well, but that's a separate sort of thing, right? Um, but, yeah, so I feel like there's lots of bits that could have harkened to other, other Jokers. And the other thing that I thought was done well and I thought harkened to, the, to other Jokers was um, towards the back end, the last third of the film, the level of, in, like... There's an unpredictability about Arthur Fleck that st starts getting introduced into his character, which makes him very much like... So, for me, I think a lot of... There are lots of aspects of the Joker, but there's... Within the Joker, there's a, like there's the capacity for huge violence and unpredictability, right? Just you have no idea what this guy is going to do, right? I remember when I watched The Dark, uh, the Dark Knight... Um, one of the scariest things about the Heath Ledger Joker um, was that he was so freaking unpredictable. You didn't know what he was going to do. And, like, it was super tense every time he was on the screen. I mean, that scene that Gerald talks about with the pencil is 
Like, you had no idea. The first time you watched that, that movie, you had no idea he was going to do that, and it's horrifying, right? Similarly, I, I think the main... I think the scene that Max was talking about earlier, the really disturbing scene, and correct me if I'm wrong, Max, like, for me, the most disturbing scene was when um, his two work... Arthur's two work, work colleagues go to visit him in his apartment, and he murders one of them, right? Like, he ha- takes a... Um, pair of scissors stabs him in the eye and like beats up this guy and kills him and then there's another um his other colleague who's a dwarf he doesn't kill him and there's this whole tension about whether is arthur going to murder this guy is he going to stab him in the back and and then he ends up like opening the door for him and kissing him on the head right and for me that was like that that felt like a joker scene right a scene where it's so tense and so unpredictable and you're just you, 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 I, I had to like sort of cover my eyes through that scene because it was so uncomfortable so I, I guess that that's kind of where, where I was coming from more look I agree with you there are certain aspects of the comic book law that don't quite work and um, what you picked up with Thomas Wayne I 100% agree with as well right like Thomas Wayne needs to be a good man because the whole point is that he lays the foundation for Bruce Wayne, who's going to become Batman, right? Um, It doesn't quite work if um, he's this sort of Ayn Randian-style politician, right? So, um, yeah, and look, to be honest, the other thing that I really didn't... The comic book thing that I didn't really like about the movie, I thought they were going too far when they included... Um, the death of the Waynes in Crime Alley. Yeah, I, I yeah. thought that yeah. was unnecessary. Like there was really, um, yeah. How many times have we seen that? Have we seen that particular moment now? We've seen it. We saw it in. We've seen it in this movie. We saw it in for no reason whatsoever in Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. Uh, we saw it in Batman Begins, and we saw it in the um, 1989 Tim Burton Batman. That that scene has been done to death and we didn't need another reiteration of it it was as if it was it was like one of the best things marvel ever did about the current incarnation of spider-man the tom holland version of spider-man was not to retell his origin story um and and the death with the death of uncle ben and so on so to have this scene play out again for no real reason this that, that scene didn't have to be in this movie in a sense this movie, if it was going to depart from parts of the Batman mythology, should have gone even further, right? And it should, instead of having Thomas and Martha Wayne get shot dead, it should have had Bruce Wayne get shot dead. So this is a universe <laughs> in which Batman never happens at all. Now, that would have been amazing. That would have would been have, very shocking, I would, yeah. I would have stood up and applauded that. Right? But this movie, if it was going to depart from the source material, should have broken the source material. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so, to some degree, I think it lacked the courage of its convictions. Um, uh, and so, we really didn't. We really didn't need that scene. If it was going to be in the movie, it, there, there had to have been some spin on it, and then unfortunately, yeah. there wasn't. If you haven't seen that scene a hundred times and don't know it by heart, then you don't need to see it in this movie because you're obviously not a Batman fan at all and this is not really a Batman movie. It's about it's a character study of the Joker kind of separate from all of that. And it's a Joker origin story, not a Bruce not a Batman origin story. Exactly. So exactly. what were they doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so look, the only the only reason why so this segues, in my mind, kind of to the whole discussion about the unreliable narrator, because the only reason why I potentially thought that they included that scene and then kind of had, like, because towards the, right at the last scene of this film is him in that mental asylum, right? And then he kind of has this smirk on his face and he thinks back to, like, like and then the screen kind of shows the Bruce Wayne, like, with his dead parents scene, right? And that's the scene for me, which is like, well, is is what they're trying to say here that this is all just this fantastical delusion in this guy's head and that, you know, he's just trying to, like, connect himself with, like, Bruce Wayne somehow and, like, 
you know, this is like this fantastic joke in his mind if the Joker were linked to Bruce Wayne in somehow, or maybe what if the Joker were Bruce Wayne? I don't know, right? Like, it, it, I never it, got that. I, I never read that into it at all. I just thought he was in an asylum after having wreaked havoc and he's now fully transformed into the Joker and we're just getting a shot of, and look at how this has created Batman. I thought, I didn't know, yeah, how come you thought it was more than that? Yeah, well, I, I guess for me, like, the whole unreliable narrator thing was a huge deal, right? Because, like, with the, you know, like, the way the, um, you know, uh, his neighbour, right? The the lady neighbour kind that's, of got... That's the only thing that's, like, and that's really just, he's just delusional. But, like, that's the only thing where <laughs> that unreliable narrator thing the... kicks in. And I think... It's there for the reason that we're supposed to realise actually there is nobody in this guy's life who loves him because he really has nothing to lose. Um, yeah. So, so I guess I read that slightly differently in that it made me start to question pretty much everything. Like, from that point on, I started questioning pretty much everything in the film, right? And uh, so, like, for me, it was like there were a couple of scenes, right? There was the first scene where um, he... Like when he imagines himself with Robert De Niro, and how realistic that scene seems, right? So there's that scene, and then there's the scene with there's obviously the scenes with the neighbor, and then there's there was this weird, you know, like when he's right at the beginning of the film, and he's talking about when he was in a mental institution, right? And then the Mm -hmm. scene switches, and he's all in white, and it just feels like it's a weird thing to put in at that point in time, right? And so, for me, it was like, is that scene meant to connect with the end scene? Like, as in... Yeah, I think it it is, because it kind of looks like the same room. Yeah. Um, And so, like you, Darren, when when we got to the final scene, the epilogue, as it were, in this movie, for a moment, I thought, are they suggesting that nothing in this movie actually happened? That, That this is just something that a metal... Um, a metal patient called Arthur Fleck dreamt up and and sort of for himself in order in in the course wrapped up in, in in his own psychosis. I dismissed it because I thought that that would be so stupid. But as I understand it, certain comments made by the director Todd Phillips uh, seem to suggest that the movie was meant to leave open the possibility that because Arthur Fleck is such an unreliable narrator that that the entire the entire arc of the movie is just something that is dreamt up. And look, um, is they... I, I'll tell you, the other thing that makes me feel like this is some sort of narcissistic fantasy is that final scene when he dances on top of the... Um, Stairs? N- n- not on the set, on the cop the, car. The car. He, he gets out and there's yeah. almost a Christ scene when he's like... Um, he's like... He's, his broken body is carried from the cop cop car, right? And then all there are all these adoring masses with like clown faces on, and he gets up and he dances on the car, right? And that was a scene where I was like, that kind of reminded me of that scene with Robert De Niro earlier, the the delusion scene with Robert De Niro earlier in the film, where it's like, this is clearly a delusion, right? This this, this is this can't be happening, like. How much of this is actually... I, I do think that it is a bit of a cop-out, but I feel like it's meant to like align with this idea of, well, the Joker's origins are not meant to be set in stone, right? Like, you know, this idea that, you know, like, in The Dark Knight, the Joker tells heaps of different origin stories. And, like, you know, to, to go with this idea that, well... This is could be one potential origin story for the Joker, but who knows mm-hmm. if it's right or not, right? And this is why I think this film works better as a comic book film because if you don't have that overlay on it, then and it was like and it was all a dream and it was just a del- delusion, it becomes much more stupid, right? Look, it's arguable whether it's less stupid with the Joker overlay, but at least there's that sort of justification for that sort of unreliable That's... That's interesting. I guess I never... It's interesting as as well that it's meant to be left open, like that is an interpretation that you can draw from it, but it's not the... It's also clearly not the only one, and I'm I'm glad that's the case because I do think that if you don't want to read that 
if you don't want to read into this movie that he's just imagining the whole thing or it's just one big sort of narcissistic story that he's telling, um, I think you can also do that because the, the incidences where there are clear delusions, like the girlfriend, Sophie, mm. and um, the one where he, that talk show host, where he's kind of like the talk show host is almost treating him like a father figure. I think those scenes are so off in the sense that people are acting in the way you just would not expect people to act that you they don't they don't sound right they don't play right and so when they are imagination that makes sense the the rest of it actually does fit into the way i think people believe even to the point of when you're in a riot and people are going absolutely nuts and the very worst of human nature is coming out um the idea that they would herald the guy who started it all doesn't seem that weird to me so but yeah, it's interesting that they left that open. And, Darren, when you make the point that actually the Joseph's origin is meant to be a mystery, um, that makes it more acceptable that they would have a it, it's, it was all a dream kind of, like, possibility to, to this film, which otherwise would be a terrible cop-out and not okay. <laughs> after, we've invested, after we've invested all that time and emotion. <laughs> and it was so all that, a dream, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what else should we talk about? Um, should we talk about the um, the controversy a little bit? Do we, do yeah. we generally, genuinely believe... Like, okay, I'll put my view. I, I, I think the cynical part of me is that, like, no publicity is, no publicity is bad publicity, right? So the cynical part of me is, like, this is a bit of a stitch-up, <laughs> right? Because like, I, I don't think this was so dangerous a film that it was going to inspire people to go out and murder people. Or what was the criticism? Because Gerald told me that some people thought it was boring, and like, that's the main thing that he said about it. So, okay, and so that before... it glamorised mental... No, it glamorised mur- murder, basically. Yeah, so I, I, think, so I think before this film launched, right? So they did this screening at, I want to say, Venice? Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, like, before this film launched, all these people, you know, like, we live in the age of the internet, so everyone shoots from the hip. So Twitter was aflame with, like, people from both sides of the corridor basically saying, oh, the Joker is, like, a terrible film. It's going to, like, inspire, like, white incels and blah, blah, blah. It's going to, like, create a hero out of, like, you know, horrible mass shooters and that sort of thing, right? Um, and I, I genuinely, like, <laughs> after seeing this film, I'm thinking to myself that there have been many crime films and many films that are way more violent than this film. Like, what are people talking about? <laughs> I, I think, well, I, can I, I've got a theory about the the rapturous reception at, at at venice and then the and then the the backlash once the film air, uh, was, was um screened at toronto and then subsequently in in the united states my theory is this so venice it wins the golden this movie wins the golden line at venice the premier award at the venice film festival which is in turn one of the most prestigious film festivals in the world and i think and, and we are told that when the movie screened and then wrapped up, it got an eight-minute standing ovation from the audience. Um, and we're talking, you know, sort of serious European um, arbiters of, of taste. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, And the reason why I think the movie was received so well in Europe is because Euro- Europeans see in Arthur Fleck their caricature of Americans. <laughs> Weird, loud, unbeknownst in themselves, awkward, and very, very violent. And that, I think that's, I think, I, I honestly believe Europeans just see in Arthur Fleck the, the America of the Trump era, and they, and they find it hilarious. And they found this movie a, a, an absolutely stunning indictment of America in the era of Trump boiled down in its essence to this one very creepy, very violent, very nihilistic character. The movie then, the movie then hops across the Atlantic 
and hits America, where it is seen again through the Trump through, through the Trump lens. But instead of seeing themselves in Arthur Fleck, a lot of American critics saw the Trump base, namely white, male, angry, violent, um, and given to self-delusion. And so, to the extent that this movie seeks to make someone like Arthur Fleck sympathetic or someone mm. you can feel sorry for, people were like, you, movie, you, Todd Phillips, are glorifying, glamorizing um, incels and Twitter trolls and people who spend their lives in 4chan trying to G each other up uh, to commit acts of mass violence against, you know, people of color, for instance. So, so I think I think the the times in which we live have very much infected the reaction to this movie. On top of that is also the fact that the movie at various points does give the middle finger to its audience. So I think that whole sort of was this a dream thing was kind of the movie giving the middle finger to the audience. And it gives the middle finger to the audience most prominently in the scene when after having killed um, his colleague, the clown, and let the dwarf go, um, the Joker walks down the corridor, then walks out into the, the stairs that lead up to his apartment building and starts dancing. And what you hear in the soundtrack playing over this entire scene is a Gary Glitter song. Now, Gary Glitter, a convicted pedophile and possessor of child pornography, and they're playing his music in a scene in which this character is enjoying himself and engaged in the process of self-actualizing. It's like it's like if someone today took a took a took a took a joyful sequence in a movie and set it to a Michael Jackson song. And it is just a deliberate act of you know flipping the bird and provoking its audience. So there is a trolley element to this film, which also I think brought the backlash down upon it. I agree with that. But I don't think what glamorizes the film is that it allows us or it forces us to sympathize with Arthur Fleck because I think sympathizing with any human being is not problematic. And in 99.9% of cases of when you have an evil person do violent and evil deeds, there is a sympathetic backstory. And that's not the problem. The problem is that the film leads us to want him to rise up in a violent way. Like we, we, we want him to basically obtain power over all of these people in an unpleasant way. I'm not saying I wanted that, but the the film is getting its audience to want that. And so when the the finale comes, we're supposed to be on his side when he's actually committing all these, like committing murder and and, and inciting riots and violence. Do you think we're supposed to be on his side? I I don't necessarily think we're supposed to be. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. See, like, I can understand, like, I think the film, like, so, I guess my point about it being a story of self-actualization, you can see the self-actualization, but it's so disturbing and off-kilter and, like, depraved that, like, I, I don't necessarily, I, I think it's almost like that third act of the film is like watching a slow-motion train wreck. I, I don't necessarily feel like yeah. you're meant to sympathize with it. It's, it was the same for me, but I think that's the worry, is that you are supposed to want him to rise like that. And that, like, at least that some people will see that as a... And I think that is what the glamorizing it is all about, because otherwise it's not glamorizing any of this, is yeah. it? Like, <laughs> it's part of that emotional manipulation that I, like, I, I felt like I was undergoing, um, particularly when he, you know, after the... Well, he's on the talk show... And he's trying to rationalise to Mario before he kills him why um, why he felt no remorse, I suppose, in killing the three Wall Street bankers. Um, and in his fictionalised kind of portrayal of his relationship with the um, with his neighbour, um, you know, she the the fictionalised world. She says things to him to kind of boost his confidence in in rationalising why he did it. Um, and that I felt was also part of the emotional manipulation. Mm. 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 Yeah, look, I, I think overall, like for me, like I think a lot of this this controversy, a lot of the Twitterverse controversy, kind of, 
arose before the film was even released. So a lot of people who were complaining about it, I'm not sure had even seen the film at that point in time. And to be honest, I actually think a lot of this is linked to the basically this horrible cesspool culture war that's going on in the state. Well, basically, like a bunch of people shouting at each other on Twitter and calling it a culture war <laughs> in the US right now. So, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not 100% bored into the controversy. I, I feel like, you know, there are other films that <laughs> probably would be more dangerous. And more than that, I... I, I just want to say, when Keanu Reeves, when references are made to Keanu Reeves killing someone with a pencil, we laugh every time. Yeah. But it's apparently not that disturbing when Keanu Reeves does it. It's apparently really funny and heroic. So we, we Yeah, and, and, then, and he's a white guy as well, right? So... I know. Yeah, anyway, he's, he's half Asian. Oh, is he? <laughs> he was saving a dog. Saving a dog. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, like overall, yeah, it, it's the cynical part of me. Actually, there's a part of me that is quite cynical that feels like, you know, like this, it, like the Warner Brothers in the background is stoking the fires of this sort of thing. Because, like, I feel like this film has gotten so much more publicity and more people are interested in just seeing what it actually is because of all this, like, talk that's been generated, essentially, right? So. Um, yeah, there is a really cynical part of me that feels like a lot of this culture war stuff is actually just being fanned by, you know, like, suits who could make more money out of the film. <laughs> yeah, and can yeah. I just say, all those people who say that this movie is, is dangerous because it, it, could, it could, you know, uninten- unintentionally encourage incels to engage in acts of violence. I mean, Taxi Driver... Did cause basically the the uh, forty year ago equivalent of an incel to engage in an act of violence. Taxi Driver inspired John Hinckley to attempt to assassinate Ronald Reagan. Mm. Yeah. No one, no one is calling for us to cancel Taxi Driver now. Even though, in many ways, Taxi Driver is a is a more disturbing film because at the end of it, at the end of the movie, even though we're not meant to think of Travis Bickle as a hero after he's shot up this illegal brothel and everyone in it in order to rescue Jodie Foster. The film presents us in its closing moments in Travis Bickle's fantasy of himself as a hero widely lauded throughout New York City and with some chance of landing the girl of his dreams played by Sybil Shepherd. So someone walking into that movie with the wrong point of view, would come out thinking, hey, if I went around shooting a whole bunch of bad people, I could score with the girl of my dreams and be told by everyone around me that I'm a complete hero. And that's kind of what happened with Higley, because in his own mind, he thought it was necessary to to assassinate Ronald Reagan in order to rescue the real-life Jodie Foster from being corrupted by whatever it was that Reagan was meant to symbolise. So, but no one, no one is calling for us to bury Taxi Driver and ensure that it's never seen again. So I think the, the whole controversy about this movie being, being dangerous has to be seen with a measure of sort of perspective. This is not, I don't think, anywhere near as disturbing a movie as Taxi Driver or anywhere near as susceptible of misinterpretation by the wrong people. Uh, look, I would agree with that, right? Because the fact is that at the end of the day, this is like the fact that Adager is saying that she doesn't feel like this character journey is 100% believable. And we're talking about this character as a comic book character. Like there's a level of fantasy still in this, which I feel kind of separates it like as in i think people are still able to tell that this is and like... even, even if it was even if it was 100 percent believable that doesn't mean we should stop telling those stories mm, like that, I agree. that can't be the I response i agree i agree right if you know art shouldn't be censored like you know yeah for that I agree. reason yeah um is there anything else we really want to talk about in terms of joker um, well, do you want do you want to do you want to do rankings of of actors who've played the Joker? Mm, okay, <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that as a fun little thing to finish off. Okay, 
Um, who wants to go first? Oh, I know very little, so I, I will... Yeah, I only know Heath Ledger and Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix, and yeah. I would go with number one Heath and number two Joaquin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, let me throw in... Um, oh, God, I think... so what was his... I don't know, Darren, Darren Gerald, you would know better. The One of the Michael Keaton ones. Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. There was only one, yeah. and it was oh, Jack yeah. Nicholson. Oh, <laughs> there yeah. weren't many of them. There was just one. <laughs> so, does finally, finally, it's Jared Leto on top. Yes, Jared. <laughs> iconic. <laughs> Followed by Cesar Romero. You know, the Cesar um, Romero Joker is more iconic than people give it credit for. No, no. <laughs> I, I, a lot of people say. A lot of people say it's Heath number one and Cesar Romero number two, despite the fact that um, his 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 makeup is is patently ridiculous because he's painted white over a very obvious moustache. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, so what what's your ranking, Daz? Yeah, it's it's hard for me to say. Like I re I actually rewatched The Dark Knight like over the weekend and. I guess, like, I do like the Heath Ledger Joker, but he's not... I don't know. Like, I feel like the Joker has so many facets of his character, right? And the Heath Ledger Joker, the ones... Okay, so this is is quite superficial, but the Heath Ledger Joker, in my mind, he doesn't have the laugh. He rarely really laughs, right, in, in The Dark Knight. I think the only time when he really has the full laugh is, like, right at the end when he's hanging upside down and Batman's got him tied up, right? So I do think the Heath Ledger Joker is um, more, um, like, from a cop... As a, as a sort of Batman fan, I prefer Heath Ledger over Joaquin Phoenix, although they're very close, I'd say, right? I would probably say I enjoy Mark Hamill Joker the best, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, animated. Because I feel that, like, that animated Joker has a good balance of the sort of... the really early Joker that was, like, a bit of a fool, right? Like, not so much of a sort of, like, killy, murdering, psychopath villain, and the later... So, basically, the evolution of the Joker character was that, you know, like... In the same way that Batman during, I think, the 50s and the 60s, well, 60s, I think, became more of a sort of a light-hearted hero, the Joker kind of became that as well. And then as the 80s rolled, at, rolled around, like, those comic book characters became much darker and much grimmer to the point where they are now, right? And I like the Mark Hamill Joker because I feel like he is able to balance those, right? Like you know, the Joker that he plays throughout the various animated series and, like, video games and blah, blah, that he's in is able to sort of, like, the voice that he has is able to balance that sort of fun, like, less serious Joker with, like, the cold psychopathic killer type thing. So Look, I think Mark Hamill does a very good job playing the Joker. I think part of the reason why um, I wouldn't put him at the the top of the heap is because... Visually. um, Well, I mean, he... It's because that voice, that particular Joker voice, sounds so much like Stewie from Family Guy <laughs> that that I, I just I just cannot I just cannot unsee I cannot unhear that. And every time I, I see the animated Joker as played by Mark Hamill, I just think Stewie from the Family Guy. So I think I think there's that. I, I, I would. Yeah, it's a cliche to say this, but I, I would absolutely put Heath Ledger at the top of the heap. That is perhaps the most iconic cinematic villain of the 21st century. I mean, in the 20th century, the the really iconic movie villains are probably Darth Vader and Hannibal Lecter. Um, and, you know, there's a lower tier comprised of, like, Freddy Krueger and so on. I think Heath Ledger's Joker belongs in the same tier as Darth Vader and Hannibal Lecter, as played by, by Anthony Hopkins. Mm. Um, uh, I think I think the jury's probably still out on 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 Joaquin Phoenix. I think it's too early to tell ultimately where he ends up in the pecking order because the legacy of this movie is still up in the air, and I think it'll be contested for some time yet. Mm. Um, I think I think Jack Nicholson um, was you know, sort of famously sort of 
praised for his performance in, in the 1989 Batman, a movie I haven't seen in a very, very long time. So I, I don't feel I'm qualified to comment on the merits of that performance. But I do remember it being <laughs> being seen as, you know, wow, this is really something else. This is a big Jack performance. Um, and, you know, sort of writing up, you know, sort of last and very definitely least is Jared Leto. I mean, I haven't seen Suicide Squad, but I I saw. <laughs> so you I haven't even, have you seen? <laughs> and, and I saw I saw photos, and I tell you what, that looked like an absolute travesty. Um, what or you know, Jared Leto famously was an absolute terror to work with on this on the set. He decided to go full method with his version of the Joker, <laughs> which meant he just terrorized cast and crew on the set of Suicide Squad to the point where he'd be pranking people by leaving, like, used condoms in their suitcases, in their trailers and stuff. Um, he was supposedly just an absolute bastard. And to go to all that effort to cause that much suffering amongst your colleagues and end up with something so utterly slight and, un- and unforgettable really, see- really, in my view, just sort of condemns that performance to oblivion. Did, did you hear about Joaquin Phoenix's comment recently about how um, I think basically he said that, like people were asking like whether he really got into the role of the Joker and whatever, right? You know, because there's all these stories of people who play the Joker and you know, like famously with Heath Ledger, like they suffer and blah blah when they play the Joker. And Joaquin Phoenix basically came out and he said that. They were laughing on the set every day. He, he didn't feel like it was really that that big of a deal. So it's really interesting with that. I think he's done a pretty good job, but well, I, mean, he, I don't, don't feel forget, like. Joaquin like, <laughs> Phoenix for eighteen months convinced the world that he had gone mad. Because do you remember? Do you remember this? Like there was a period about 10, ten, ten years ago when. He said he was quitting acting. He was becoming a rapper. He went on Letterman. He, he seemed completely incoherent. Um, he seemed like he was on all manner of illegal substances. And it turns out that this was an 18-month practical joke that he played on the world for the purposes of a fake documentary directed by, I think, Casey Affleck. Um, and so he knows a thing or two about sort of punking people. Um, and so he would have seen this role as just... Yeah, just another, just another chance to pretend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I think, look, from a purely cinematic perspective, I probably agree with you. Right, the Heath Ledger Joker is definitely. But I think what is like, if you look at look at that ranking of Jokers, right? I think it's also a ranking of the quality of those films <laughs> as well. I think the Heath Ledger Joker benefits a lot from the fact that the Dark Knight is such a watchable film right like i think the dark knight is probably one of if not my favorite batman film like yeah i mean it's probably one of my favorite films of all time really right so um yeah i i feel like heath ledger gets the benefit also because his joker is set in a film which is so watchable right while jared leto's joker look i to be honest, I, I don't really think he was given... He was given a lot of makeup to work with, but, like, in terms of actual meat, like, Suicide Squad, it's, it's not... <laughs> it, it was not a good film, so... Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about in relation to Joker? Are we tapped out? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, um... We'll be back with something else. We'll have to figure out what else we're watching next. But we hope you enjoyed our sort of freeform chat about the Joker. And, um, yeah, we'll see everybody soon. Okay, say bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Ciao.